Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from uh, Blue Balls, Pennsylvania. And by the way, this is a real town. <laughs> Usually we make up the cities we're coming from, but we couldn't pass on this one because we have a dear friend vacationing through Pennsylvania onto Virginia, and he sent us a lot of pictures commenting on the different cities been in and sending us pictures. And one of them was Blue Balls, Pennsylvania. So we thought we got to go there. Right, Bear? We got to go there. That's exactly what I thought. That is the real deal. The real deal. Well, listen, Bob, uh, last time uh, we finished up the last episode with conversation about conflict, definitions related to conflict, talked about people's beliefs, how they view conflict, why it can be so painful or difficult for some people to address. Uh, And what we promised is that we'd move on, and today we're going to do that, uh, and talk about what types of conflict exist. I mean, actually, there's a model that you're going to consider or we're going to share that you've considered that talk about three different types of conflict. But before we get right into that, I think there's something you wanted to share in terms of an introduction to that idea. Yeah. In fact, I think as we've designed these sessions, we have two models we want to work with. One is a very a longstanding historical model in social sciences called the Thomas Kilman model that we will be dealing with in a future episode. And the one we're sharing today is one that comes actually out of Michigan State decades ago with a very well-known professor, Gerald Miller, in his book, uh, Being Human, in which he talks about three types of interpersonal conflict. And it's really focused on interpersonal relationships. And in fact, I think of the model as not only interesting and insightful, but actually elegant. And I'm using the term in the same context that Matthew May, who wrote the book in 2012, The Elegant Solution, when he talked about Toyota and the concept of elegance being something that is a combination of both novel and innovative and simple in terms of design. And so what I find about this particular model, this model of interpersonal conflict, is it's really very, very simple, but it's remarkably novel and innovative in the way it helps us address interpersonal conflicts. So I kind of want to throw it back to you. And although I'm familiar with the model because I actually had experience with Jared Miller as a professor at Michigan State University, I thought you and I have talked about this enough that I would love to hear your view of the three types of conflict, and we'll just go back and forth and talk our way through the model. Well, you know, Bob, I had heard uh, of that model uh, prior to you introducing it in our conversation, but I think it's invaluable. I think it's a great way to look at the different types of conflict we'll encounter. Uh, The three types of conflict that uh, Miller laid out was one is called uh, simple conflict. And that conflict is to say that it is discernible. It is definable. That simple there means not complicated but it doesn't mean easy. Uh, So what we aren't saying is, well, this is the easy conflict. What we're saying is that this is a conflict, a type of conflict that allows you to address it cleanly, that there are quick approaches to it. And and, And mostly because there is a clear issue involved. When we talked about conflict last week and said, conflict is essentially me not being able to get what I want and not prevent you from getting what you want, or vice versa, then we are in conflict. And so there's an issue involved. And so 
what I remember from Miller's conversation about simple conflict, as you said, it's not because it's easy or it's it's necessarily resolvable quickly, but it's simple in the fact that there is an issue and the issue is very clear and we know what the issue is. Yeah. Now, if it's not, I will say this, if it's not addressed with some speed, some urgency, it can move into a different type of conflict. Okay. The second type of conflict that Miller mentions is pseudo-conflict. And this is really a, a function of miscommunication, a function of a misperception. It's when I believe I'm in conflict, but that's only a perception. That's not real. Mm-hmm. And so I think someone's going to block me, and then I inquire, or then we communicate, and I find out, oh, no, they had no intention of doing that. Mm-hmm. So pseudo-conflict is really one that communication uh, efforts should solve very quickly. It, it should make it very visible that there's not a real source of conflict. It's just a perceptual source of conflict. Yeah. You know, I'd like to comment on that too. One of the hallmarks of both of these types of conflict, simple conflict and pseudo-conflict, is that the two of us, if we choose to, if we want to resolve the conflict, we can between the two of us. When a supervisor says to two employees, you two need to get this solved. You just go out and get this taken care of. I'm not going to get involved in this. These two conflicts are resolvable in that way. So the thing we would say to the listener is that if you find yourself in a simple conflict, that is, there is an issue involved, you can't get what you want without preventing the other person from getting what they want, and again, vice versa, or we just continually miscommunicate. Both of those conflicts are resolvable if the two of us are willing and wanting to do that. Then you want to comment on the third. Yes, the third conflict is what Miller called ego conflict. And this is when personalities get very much involved, where people are offended by each other, where sides get drawn, where lines get drawn. And people become really fairly quickly adversaries. Mm-hmm. They, they are really on opposite sides of something. And the, the issue may have been former. It may have been in the past. But the current conflict is very much driven by the energy, personal offense. It's very much driven by... My ego, by, by my personal concern about something. Uh, emotions run very high. That also complicates the resolution, the management, because emotions are at a peak. It also tends to be interpersonally the most damaging form of conflict. It has long-term impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, often in families, that's where you can, you can end up being unable to connect at work. It can separate colleagues indefinitely. Well, in fact, I think a lot of people tend to think of conflict as almost inevitably going to this place, but that's really not the case. However, it is often the case that ego conflict is the escalation of simple conflict. That is, you and I were involved with a a conflict that centered around or centered upon an issue, but then in the course of dealing with that issue, we lost track of the issue and it became a personal thing. It became one of these things where it's no longer about the issue as much as it is about you and me or about my ego, about your ego, about our involvement to the point that we no longer even know what the issue is. I'm, I'm always surprised at how many times I've been asked to kind of help manage conflict or get involved in a conversation around conflict and people have lost the issue completely. They no longer know what they're arguing about. They're, they're now just in the in the fight, so to speak. I see you smiling, so jump well, in. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a program I saw recently called Men in Kilts. 
<laughs> there's two guys wandering Scotland from the uh, series The Outlander, and they're just showing off the highlights uh, of Scotland, which is wonderful. But in the course of that, they go to an area that was fought over by two clans. Uh, and I don't know, maybe McDougal and Campbell clan. I, I don't remember the names of clans now. But a very serious feud developed. And hundreds of clansmen on both sides died. And this actually was a burial site hmm. for both clans. It had become a memorial. Well, what was funny to me was these two fellows who were doing this TV series ask a member of each clan who knew the memorial area to come and introduce it on behalf of their clan. Hmm. Well, these guys wouldn't shake hands. They wouldn't talk with each other. They kept talking through the two TV personalities, but they would not speak to each other. And the end, the two guys tried to get them to shake hands, and they wouldn't shake hands. I mean, then this feud was 400 years old when the people these people died 400 years ago. And these guys who didn't know any of those people have not probably been involved in this feud directly ever. And here they won't talk to each other. They're already offended. They're already in conflict. Just because they have to be at the same spot. And I think when we when we think of feuds, that's probably one of the more extreme examples of this type of conflict gone, gone awry. Yes. Well, in fact, at the end of this particular podcast, we decided we want to talk a little bit about what happens when you're a bystander and observe or get involved in ego conflict. And you're exactly right. We have the classic U.S. stereotype of the Hatfields and the McCoys exactly. and how that's a, a longstanding feud. And these really are in that category of what we would call ego conflict. But we want to bring it a little closer to the kinds of conflicts we get involved in daily that don't end in, end in death or don't end in these 400-year historical feuds, but the kinds that we get confronted with on a regular basis. One of the things that I would want to comment on that when I first saw this model and why I thought it was so elegant is that it actually breaks from the previous two forms of conflict to say that the only way, and there was a pretty adamant viewpoint here, the only way to really resolve ego conflict, which I'm going to suggest comes as a surprise to many people, is through third-party intervention. This is the one conflict that we cannot tell two people, you two need to take this outside. You need to go resolve this. You need to figure out a way to get this behind you. And we often want to make that recommendation. Supervisors, leaders see conflict in their units, and they want to say to the people who are in conflict, you need to go take care of this. You need to just get this resolved. When in fact, if it has approached this level that we're calling ego conflict, it is not resolvable by the two people involved. And that's a really critical understanding to have that if I find myself in an ego conflict, if I find myself in this highly charged, highly emotional conflict that I've got with someone else now in my work unit, in my family, in my friendship group, it really is going to require a third-party involvement. And the more interesting thing to me is that the third-party involvement does not have to have a highly trained facilitator or skilled conflict manager. The only fundamental criteria necessary for the third person to truly be helpful is that they're seen by both people who are involved in the conflict as being more than impartial. Actually, this person will not work against me. As a person involved in the conflict, what I have to believe is if I look at this third person, I think they will operate in my best interest. It doesn't mean they won't operate in the other person's best interest as well, but they won't work against me. And if we can find that kind of individual If two people can say, we can both look at a single individual and say, that person represents that for me, then there's great potential for that third third party. In fact, I want to suggest a case study that I was involved in uh, at a small private college in Arkansas, and uh, it kind of hopefully exemplifies what I mean by this. 
I was called in by the president of the college and said, we have got a situation in our administrative building that has to be addressed. And that situation is that all the administrative assistants who are serving executives are at each other's throats. They're constantly bickering. They're constantly aggravated. There's a huge amount of stress and tension in the building. Bob, what I want you to do is I want want you to take this group of 20 administrative assistants offsite and get this thing figured out. Well, we did that and we treated them to a really nice event to an offsite resort setting that was really gorgeous. And they never had a chance to be at a place like this on the college's uh, expense. And we began to talk about the conflicts they were experiencing. Well, now two things came out of it. One was that most of the conflict was generated by their supervisors, that the supervisors were unwilling to address the conflict with each other. So they just drove it down to their administrative assistants. But once it got there, it got highly personal. And the administrative assistants felt like they were being protective of their bosses, so to speak. And so the whole conflict just escalated and got very emotional. Well, in the process of our conversation, knowing this model as I did, I suggested to the administrative assistants, well, who would be a third party at the college that could serve as a mediator as you begin to experience these conflicts until we get the executives to begin to realize that they've got a role in this that can moderate and manage the conflicts that you're experiencing with one another? And I thought, well, they're going to name someone in the psych department. They're going to name someone that we have an unusual understanding of that's talented in this space of managing conflict. Person they identified was the head of the maintenance department. This guy is harsh. He's critical. He's straightforward. He gets in your face. But as far as these administrative assistants were concerned, he was very fair. He was very honest. He always worked in their best interest. So their choice, to everyone's surprise, was the director of maintenance. And what was additionally surprising is when we got back from the retreat, they began to use, I'll use his first name, Bob, as a resource to manage the conflicts they were having with one another. And it was surprising how quickly these conversations, conflicts, excuse me, conflicts dissipated in the face of him being able to help them work it out. He was fun. I mean, he's a very funny guy, but he was also very direct. So for me, that's an example of how that gets used in a very, very meaningful way and how it doesn't have to be, although it probably would be helpful to have someone who is particularly skilled at this. So I'll go back to that and say, if there's one outcome of this particular podcast I would like people to know about is when you get involved in an ego conflict, it does require third-party mediation. And that third party has to be a person that both people respect. It won't work unless both of them do. Now, we're actually getting, again, close to time. And we had one conversation we wanted to have, which was about, so there are important side issues regarding ego conflict, but besides the two people involved. So why don't you grab a hold of that one? Okay, absolutely. When there's an ego conflict that you're going to be drawn into, one thing you need to realize is that you need to be careful not to become a pawn in the game. You need to be careful to understand that being drawn into that kind of conflict doesn't create winners. It doesn't create better relationships, okay? Ego conflicts tend to infect others, Mm -hmm. not make each other better, make relationships better. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you need to be mindful of as a bystander around these ego conflicts is it is very natural for people to try and draw their friends in. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, I'll give the people the benefit of the doubt and say it's unintentional programming that they're going to create, okay? That they're not so poorly intentioned that they want you to be involved in a painful way. They want you to be involved in a way that's unproductive and unhealthy. I'll give a personal example. In a clinical practice, when I was in clinical practice, I had a client come in, a brand new client, first session. And this uh, happened to be uh, a woman and she sits down and 
we introduced ourselves. And then I asked her to share with me what was going on that brought her to this point of therapeutic contact. And she started to describe her relationship with her husband and that the relationship was going very badly. And after about five minutes of her talking, I found myself irate. I mean, absolutely angry Mm. with her husband. And had he walked in at that moment, I would have done everything short of accosting him. (laughs) I mean, I was so furious with this guy. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, I've never seen this man. I wouldn't know him if he walked in. And here I'm ready to take him on in some sort of fight because of her comments. So I realized, ah, I stop and I say to her, you know, I'm wondering, do you want people to be angry with your husband? Do you want me to be angry with your husband? And there was a smile that came over her. She smiled. She looked at me and she said, I want everyone to be angry with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I was just being solidly programmed. And I didn't even realize at the beginning. So I stopped. And I think that's that's something I would encourage others to do. If you find yourself having an emotional reaction to a friend's conflict with someone else, you need to stop and ask yourself, where's the source of my emotion? Why am I angry? Mm-hmm. If someone comes into your office and they're furious and then they walk out and now you're angry, you just got programmed. Okay, you have to be very alert to the fact that when people start sharing their emotions, particularly if they think they're close to you, they are unintentionally, inadvertently programming you. And I would say to you, if you get programmed, you can't be of any help. Mm. You can't be mm-hmm. that de- detached third party that you were talking of. You can't be that voice of reason if you're all of a sudden in the same place they're at. Okay. One, one of the things that you're saying to me, uh, Ray, is that ego conflict has large potential for collateral damage. That is, the bystander is equally emotionally charged, equally involved, becomes equally invested. And so it spreads, unlike simple conflict and pseudo conflict, which often stays in a relatively confined space, ego conflict can spread significantly. And so what we really have to do is be on guard. What you were saying, if you hadn't had the presence of mind to really catch yourself and say, where is this coming from? It would have been very easy for you to be emotionally charged and involved. And some people think, well, I am being helpful because I'm being supportive of the one person, but you're not being helpful in terms of the overall conflict because you're not being able to help them in any way manage or resolve the conflict. You're only being exclusively supportive of one person or the other. Well, and the other, the other uh, downside, Bob, when, you're, when you've been programmed, when people are in ego conflict, they're looking for people to affirm their side of that conflict. Mm-hmm. So when you start to feel what they feel and you start to either verbally or non-verbally agree with them, you're affirming their worst feelings, which make it even more difficult for that conflict to get it resolved. People are not going to resolve conflict if the, what they're feeling is constantly affirmed. Great observation. If they're not put on a reality check, if they're not asked to say, hey, wait a minute now, is there something else going on here? I mean, I know you feel that way. And I know you're looking for people who can't agree with what you feel, but does that really help you? Is that making it any clearer for you? Yeah. Well, that, those are very helpful observations and insights. And I think this whole notion of the innocent bystander or becoming a pawn in the game or being infected by conflict, particularly when it comes to ego conflict, is a very important insight. And believe it or not, we've reached time again. So next week, we may try to summarize a little bit of this, and we're going to move on to the next uh, conflict management model. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into. 
during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.